Thank you for your continued support of Art Talk Podcast. We're going to get a quick sponsor message out of the way, and we'll be right back, so please don't go anywhere. We have a great guest today. Welcome to Art Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Twyman, and I'm here with my co-host, Aaron. How are you doing, Aaron? I'm pretty good, above ground and vertical. How are you? I'm, I'm good. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, how are you feeling? Above ground. Above ground. And okay. vertical. Well, you, uh, you, you still haven't had your second COVID shot. Yeah. And you're, and you're helping your mom move. Yes. And that's always fun. Moving is oh. fun. Yes. Yeah, and uh, and you're dealing with your car, and you got all kinds of stuff going on. Sure. So you're busy. Busy. There you go. It's been busy. And um, ninety degrees outside or not? That's I'm right. Busy. It's ninety I'm degrees. Busy. It's ninety degrees. Nice and hot. It was it was cold, and then I walked outside the next day, and I'm like, the wet the the summer hit in one day. I know. It went from like forty five, fifty, or whatever it was, and then it was ninety. I don't know. What's up with that? I don't know. But there's uh, no global warming. Yeah, well, <laughs> of course not. <laughs> no controversial issues on this show. Um, so uh, I'm going to just say a couple things real quick before we get started. We're Today, we're, uh, as you all know, if you've been listening to this podcast, we've been inter- uh, interviewing anyone who's creative. So stand-up comedians, belly dancers, we're going to be interviewing actors, a lot. We've interviewed sculptors and artists. Today, we're going to be talking to uh, uh, a young man who's uh, produced a, a film. He's an art dealer. He's uh, worked at auction houses, that kind of thing. He's also an author. But before I get into that, I want to just make a couple of quick comments. Um, I did a podcast in the past that has to do with the value of art. Uh, as a continuation of that idea, I want to add a few comments today and in future podcasts, again, to help people who own art but don't have a good gauge as to the value of the art. So when you're searching for a work of art that does not include any paperwork or a certificate and you can't find any printed text on the border of the print, or maybe you have an original with no signature, as an example, let's say you have a painting of a woman, uh, you know, you found it in the attic or whatever, inherited it. There's a woman in the image, she's gathering fruit, there's like two sheep in the image, the painting looks vintage, and you have absolutely no idea uh, what its value is, where it came from, or even who the artist is. So in the past, it was a common theme uh, for you would see a man harvesting, you would see a woman picking fruit. These were common themes of painting. So people painted what they were familiar with. So you'll notice today's art, you have a lot of digital things going on. Well, in the past, you had a lot of uh, oil paintings of very traditional everyday life, you know, and that's what you see. So uh, when you start your uh, search online, you want to be real specific with that description. So uh, be sure to add the word painting or oil painting. If you don't see a match for your image, expand your search. Look to see the medium. If it looks more like a palette knife art than a brush art, for example, uh, search for women with two sheet palette knife painting, vintage, something along those lines. In some cases, the art can't be found online. I've had to try to find art in hard copy books in the past. That's really time consuming, but it's the same as the internet. 
in the sense that you're searching for a match. Uh, the downside for consumers is that we in the art industry have archival books and material that most people will never see. But again, there are ways to find uh, the art. Uh, for example, if you think the art is by a Flemish artist, you, your search should include that. If it looks more like an Italian artist, then you have to try to find it that way. I remember helping people who had an old painting with no signature, no certificates of authenticity. It took me about three weeks of occasional searches, looking through art books before I found a similar painting. That gave me an artist's name. We then searched under that artist, found a match for the unknown art. Um, once she had a title, we called a dealer who sold that specific art and he bought her painting so he could resell it as part of a larger collection of uh, that artist's work. So it is possible to move the art and you might have something that's valuable. So this, this is why I'm giving you all this information. And just so you know, in 2009, art historian, um, Ger I'm going to say this name probably wrong, but I believe it's Gergely Barkey was watching the 1999 film Stuart Little with his daughter Lola when something unexpected happened in the background of one of the shots, he spotted what he suspected to be a long lost 1927, 1928 painting by a Hungarian artist named Robert Bereni. The set designer who originally obtained the painting said he found it at a local antique store in Pasadena, California. He paid a low price for a work of art that turned out to be worth 285,700 once it was resold. So, uh, and, and this is more common with prints because so many uh, people in the past decorated well-known artists' works, but they were in the form of hand-signed prints. So years later, people have inherited those prints. They'll, you know, stick them in storage or, or take them to Goodwill or whatever, not knowing what they have. So anytime you see a hand signature in pencil, lower right, an edition number, lower left of an old print on paper, always check the value before you give it to a thrift store or sell it at a yard sale. If you're having a tough time identifying a work of art, you can always message me via our website, which is artworkpodcast.com. Alrighty, so um, that's my uh, spiel today for a continuation of my helping people with art. Sorry if you hear noises, I'm moving things around. That's great. So I want to get to our interview because we have a really interesting guest today. His name is Joel Miller. And uh, Joel is a filmmaker, an art dealer, worked at an auction house, uh, recently an author. He was also a roadie. So we should have him on the line with us. Are you with us, Joel? I am here. Hey, how you doing? Hey. I'm good. I feel like the jack of all trades. Thank you. Oh, there you go. And uh, uh, I used to say head cook and bottle washer. Um, so uh, we're in Southern California. Where are you located? I am too. I'm in the San Fernando Valley. Oh, nice. Okay, good. And feel free to speak up. Um, can you hear me okay? I hear you fine. Okay, good, good. Cool. Um, so, uh, so Joel, again, you're your uh, experience is pretty vast. So, I mean, uh, can you tell me, do you remember uh, whatever, whatever your first memory is of, of doing, doing something creative that you, you really recall what it was and, and why it got your attention? I wrote a book in um, fourth grade. Wow. And, wow. Yeah, well, everybody in the class had to write a book. But okay. I got the little, I got the gold sticker award from the teacher or something. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was awesome. about these, these two guys, about these pirates that get stuck in Carmel, California. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's uh, I, I love that. Pirates in Carmel, California. Well, it's because I knew Clint Eastwood was there. He'd take care of those pirates. That was awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, um, he'd get those pirates out of Carmel. No problem. Yeah. It's interesting that the, 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 uh, similarities our, our creative brains have when I was a kid you know they told us we had to do a, a 
presentation in school. They, they said, make it a presentation like a performance or something like that. And at the time I was a little kid and I was hooked on Frankenstein, the Wolfman and Dracula. And I was watching Bella Lugosi and all this stuff. And my, I, I got in trouble for staying up late watching these shows. So my mom let me sneak out so my dad wouldn't hear. And I would watch these movies on weird theater in Houston, Texas, way back when. And uh, I went to school. I took a refrigerator box to school. I cut a square out of it, made it look like a window, put drapes in it. I made sock puppets of Dracula and all his victims and everything. And I acted out the entire Dracula film with fake blood and the whole thing in front of the, in front of the class. And the teacher was like shocked. And all the students were like, this is great. You know, they loved it. But uh but yeah, our brains come up with the craziest stuff when we're younger, you know. Yeah, you're the Jim Henson of Arizona. That, that's right. <laughs> that's right. But uh, so so you uh, so that was that's an early memory. What about as things progressed on? What what kind of things uh, got you involved in, in um, you know, creative? Because, uh, again, you've done so many different things. What got you more involved in, in creative ventures? I think my parents were OK with it. So um, my father was a car mechanic. And he, for whatever reason, started collecting Japanese prints when I was a kid and uh, old English pocket watches. And they went, he, he would dive right in. He'd get, he, he got, so we have a massive collection of Japanese prints. Hmm. And then the, uh, these little figures called Netsuke that he got into hmm. as well. And hmm. so I'm uh, 14 years old and I started working at the auction house. I was the kid at the front door who you buy your catalog from for uh, five bucks. And then you go in and you take your seat. And then I would help, uh, I would help display the art as, as people were bidding. And then my sister was making the sandwiches. <laughs> and my Aww. other sister, I think she was displaying the art too. So we we're all working for, uh, his name was I Am Chate Gallery in uh, Los Angeles. So I started doing that. And then I went off to conquer the world. And I still always cared about art, though. So I, uh, my father passed away, oh. and I wanted to keep the family collection going, I think. Hmm. And so I started buying artwork, um, and I decided to run some of the pieces I had bought at an auction. Hmm. It was uh, L.A. Modern Auctions in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, I did really well, you know? Hmm. And I... Uh, one of the pieces was made by a guy named Vasa, Vasa Milivich. Yeah. And Vasa is a professor, was a professor, I'm not sure, at UCLA. Ooh. So one of the things, uh, Peter was the man who owned it, the auction house. Uh, and it turned out their first auction was at I Am Chate's Gallery, like 20 whatever years oh, ago. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh, I was wow. probably the kid at the front desk. Oh, my God. So that was funny. So That's he cool. says to me, the work I have was a wooden pillar. And Voss is more well known for uh, plastics. So he said, this is cool because it's so early. So I don't know if I'm going to be covering ground you guys have talked about before, but gallery tags are really exciting for us art guys. And so yeah. it had an early gallery tag from a cool gallery, the Ferris Gallery in Los mm -hmm. Angeles. And um, it was an early piece by a neat artist. So can you go to him and see if he can fix it a bit because it's, it's taken a bit of a beating through the time. And I want to say it was from the late 50s, early 60s, but I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. So I go to see this fella. I put it in my car. Now, I used to put my beer cans on it while we played pool because it's ah. just a wooden pillar. Oh, and uh, I, I see Vasa. I meet him. And he's very excited to meet me. And he takes out an old catalog and shows me where it was. 
and he starts crying. Huh. And um, I'm sitting there holding his little Pomeranian dog and this poor guy's crying his eyes out. And he said, well, when I moved here from Hungary, mm-hmm. um, this was the first piece I ever sold. And this is what made me an artist. Wow. And it's coming back to me now. It's coming back to me. And I'm thinking like, this is super cool. You know, I like <laughs> this. This is neat. And so we sold the stuff at the auction. And I think I made, um, I think I made 18 grand on the overall. And so I was like, all right, I could do this in my spare time. And I started, this fellow Peter had given me his cell phone number. And I started looking around for stuff and, and learning. And, and um, I made a heck of a lot of money in my first few years. I did real good. Hmm. And um, I, I liked it. I liked it. And so I, I was been, I've been working as an art dealer since I was a kid, but I know a lot of the people now in the industry and right. some of them are stuffy and a pain in the butt, but truth be told, yeah, there's some fun people. And I like a lot of the people that I work with. It's so. actually the same, no matter where you go, there's good people and bad people. And, and yeah. I, I found that, uh, you know, to be honest with you, I had problems in the art industry because I have good ethics and that's the truth. <laughs> so, I mean, I would say, you know, if I, if I told a customer, you know, we're putting an archival frame on this uh, vintage Picasso print, you know, it's hand signed, the print's worth, let's say 45 grand. And, uh, you know, I say, we're putting archival frame on this, we're putting archival glass, we're going to use, we're going to protect it, blah, blah, blah. And then behind your back, the people you're working for will go and tell the framer, put the cheapest stuff on there you have, you know. But the problem with that is, is that 20 years later, that cheap matting will turn that print brown and and devalue it you know so I was always really a stickler for you know I want this all done right and so I would get into conflicts because just like movie producers and everybody else they're always about the dollar first and that is a real disservice to the art in a lot of cases you know but um but that's really fascinating yeah I mean I love these stories because to be honest with you and, and for anybody who's listening if you have a piece of art that you found and you have nothing else and then let's say you have a, another piece of art, but that piece of art has a certificate of authenticity and you got a fantastic story behind it, like the one uh, Joel was just telling, the value of the art's higher. So uh, that's why you want to save all your documents and you want to look for any documents that your grandparents or anybody might have left behind because that adds more value to that art. Um, so I, I mentioned earlier that Aaron here is in the film industry and um you know, she's worked in on a lot of big productions and worked with lighting and, and sound, all kinds of things. And I, I saw that you also were a roadie, uh, Joel. So what was what what went on with that? What was that about? So uh, this guy came into my dad's garage to get his car fixed and ended up hiring me because I had worked as an art department, actually, in the film industry. So I went to Santa Barbara. I got an art history degree which uh, I thought would just be fun and easy and it was fun and it was pretty easy. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I was, well, I was, I enjoyed it. So it was fun. And so I, I finished, I'm like, what am I going to do now? So I thought working in the art department would be a good solution. Mm-hmm. And I would set dresser, anything an actor touches as a prop, everything else is set dressing, which really means furniture mover. So right. I was a furniture mover in the film industry <laughs> and I didn't really like it. It wasn't quite my thing. And so I ventured off to become, uh, eventually it would be a roadie, I think was my next, Mm. no, I worked in a recording studio and I wouldn't, I didn't really want to be an engineer. And so this fellow came in and he hired me and I went to go work for a band called Stone Temple Pilots and uh, developed a whole new 
uh, career for a few years of being a roadie. And so it was, it was fun. It was, it was a different way to grow up at the time. I'm only 22 years old, 21 years old. Yeah. And uh, you're, you're touring the world, listening to real cool music. And, and yeah. it was, it was a neat way to, uh, yeah, to get your feet wet in the world. And, and I liked it a lot. I liked it. So being a roadie was, was exciting. And then right. a few years ago, I decided to write this book uh, and it's called Mamoua of a roadie. Mm-hmm. Axel said I made a great cup of tea. Scott Weiland liked the Carpenters oh, and Ozzy wow. drinks rosé. Okay. Nice. So uh, it's, say the title of the book again. Uh, Memoir of a Roadie. Memoir of a Roadie. And where would this book be found? Amazon. Amazon. Oh, Amazon. Right yeah. And Amazon, it's everywhere. But okay. it, the, the mother site is Amazon. But if you go to Barnes and Nobles and order it, you're really actually getting it on Amazon. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right, okay. Right, right. So people need to know uh, Joel Miller. It's on Amazon and it's Memoir of a Roadie. Okay. Yeah, so memoir. and if you, Memoirs of a Roadie. Yeah. And if you. Um, With an S or. What? Memoir. Uh, no memoir? S, but it doesn't matter. You'll find Memoir. It. Yeah, okay. memoir. Yeah, we have to practice our, you know, our, our French accent. Well, the, the book was called Axel Said I Made a Great Cup of Tea. And my friend's like, the problem is, is like, no one's going to know what your book's about. And I'm kind of like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, how many Axels do you know, man? So we ended up putting Memoir of a Roadie in front of it so that people know what the book was called. But um, it's well, been you know, a super I can, I can put that in front of, uh, you know, because I'm serious. <laughs> I'm uh, 33 and all the different locals. I can uh, put your book in front of a lot of people too. And then on my, on my Facebook, I have uh, on my personal profile, I've got like 5,000 people. And that is basically consists of all film industry, music, all that stuff. So I can. Yeah. We're, we're Aaron and I both are, you know, I mean, our, our backgrounds or whatever, all of our friends would probably be interested in your book because yeah. uh, I'll stop saying bad things about the film industry. Well, <laughs> well I'll, t- I'll tell you something interesting and I don't, I don't have anything. About- I always say you have my condolences when people tell me they're in the film industry. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't have work. Huh? It, it is all tough. The entertainment stuff's tough, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's been a front road. And then uh, the book was real popular so it was the number one new release and biographies on amazon and uh nice. today it's sitting at number 11 on the bestsellers list oh, on sweet. Nice. sweet that's awesome yeah. sweet. I, yeah. I don't have your kind of background but i will tell you something that you'll probably get a kick out of sure. um i was uh, uh probably about um gosh what was i 16 or something i don't remember but um i was my best friend his dad was the number one dj in houston texas on kikk country uh, western radio and he, used, he used to get all kinds of perks. And so one day his, his son comes to me and he goes, hey, uh, you want to make some money? And I said, what do I have to do? And he's like, oh, we're going to go to this new place called the Summit. It's like a big arena. They just built it. And they're going to have a, some kind of a show there. And this guy, we're going to go help out with it. And I was like, OK, fine, I'll go do it. So so uh, we go there and this guy named Gary was working there and Gary said and and I'm going to tell you the way that they said it to us because keep in mind this was in Texas and this was back then and so Gary said okay here's what's going to happen all these uh, Mexicans they're going to clean this place up and they're going to get all the uh, chairs out of here and everything and we're going to switch this from a hockey rink into a concert and we said okay um, what are we doing he goes take that plexiglass that's all around the arena, just pull up on it and put it on these carts. And we're like, okay, so we're putting plexiglass on carts. And while I'm doing that, these hockey players are still on the ice. And this guy sees me holding a piece of plexiglass. Keep in mind, my fingers are on the other side of it. And he fires a hockey puck right into the center of this thing and almost gave me a heart attack. (laughs) 
Turns out it was Gordie Howe. I don't if anybody out there who's a hockey fan don't know who Gordie Howe is, but um, and his son also. But anyway, so so we we helped get this whole thing set up. Now it's set up for a concert. So I go to Gary and I go, "What kind of a show is this?" And he said, "Oh, you know, it's uh, it's who." And I said, "It's what?" And he said, "It's who." I said, "What do you mean it's who?" And he said, "You know that that rock and roll band who?" And I said, "Are you talking about the who?" And he went, "Yeah, yeah, that's it." And my buddy and I looked at each other and went, are you serious? We have backstage passes to The Who and we're working here. And, uh, and he goes, now here's what I want you boys to do. The Who people are going to come in the back door. I want you and Mike to be standing there. Now a whole crowd of crazy screaming girls are going to be coming after him. And you need to get them in that door before those people attack them. And we're going, <laughs> okay. So they run by us after getting out of their limo and, uh, Roger Daltrey slapped my friend on the ass and said, hey, mate, how you doing? Or something like that. <laughs> and for a month, he's going around school going, Roger Daltrey slapped me on the butt. You know, he thought it was the coolest thing. <laughs> and so uh, so we're walking around backstage at the Who with these passes like on Wayne's World going, we belong here. You know, we're supposed to be here because we were completely shocked that we were even there. So so that was my uh, that was my experience uh, being a roadie or a rock and roll uh, you know stage guy or whatever, but it, I'll never forget it. It was a great experience. But um, after Roger Daltrey touched you in your hiney ho neighbor, you ran off to the art world. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh uh, no, that was uh, well. Art art for me has been since I was you know since I can remember. My dad was a published artist, so it's been my you know art has been my what my whole life. What was the guy who slapped me on the ass? on that show on the on the oh price yours is right your Aaron worked on the price is right and Bob Barker slapped her on the butt <laughs> I, we yeah, I remember he had some problems on his way out of the show so uh, we I skating. feel bad I've never been slapped on the ass I feel like <laughs> out here yeah it's, oh, it's, man. It's, I know it <laughs> looks good once that happens, you know, you know, you've been initiated once that happens. <laughs> hey yeah uh, we're, we're we're getting low on time but I want to also ask ask you you mentioned um uh, we talked about roadie but you also made a film what's the film about? Oh, okay, so after being a roadie, I decided to make a movie. And I figured if I put a bunch of rock stars in the movie, I would do all right. Sweet. So the film was called The Still Life. And let's see if I could do my pitch. It's been a lot of years. It was released in 2007 uh, through Warner Brothers, actually. It was oh, okay. Warner Brothers, yeah. But uh, it's about a guy who paints a painting and destroys it and passes out drunk. Wow. And the next day, an art critic comes and loves the destroyed painting. And oh, so together wow. they create an art movement called destructionism. Wow. The guy finds it very hard to put his creativity into his product, knowing that he has to uh, fight critical acclaim or whatever. So that was my, that was my pitch. That's, yeah. that's, that's actually a fascinating story. And it reminded no, but me. I like your, I like your voice. I like the. the yeah, I, 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 I lifted it up there. There you go. Well, yeah. He has to destroy it. What's funny <laughs> is, is that when I was working in the publishing business, um, we had a poster on the wall and it had a piece of wadded up paper and it said trash right underneath it there was a piece of wadded up paper with a frame around it and it said art oh, so, yeah. so you know yeah. interesting yeah. um but uh, okay well that's fascinating so the film if we wanted to see that where is the film amazon amazon <laughs> <laughs> or, you know what these days you can get it on eBay for probably two dollars. I'm sure, but, okay. but it's on Amazon too. You can stream it on Amazon if you're interested in checking it out. Do you? And so, do you have a website with all of this stuff on there? Or do no, you do I don't bother. Um, yeah, people can get a hold of me. I got a lot of people writing me on Facebook and the uh -huh. Twitters and stuff, and oh, I'm not too hard to find it. But uh, I, I've got a, I've got a couple fans, you know, writing me. Hey, dude, I you know, I read your book. You're badass, bro. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. oh. 
you're a badass bro too bro (laughs) (laughs) so uh, it's been it's been fun but uh yeah everything through amazon and the audio book should be released soon here we're trying to the engineer is trying to finish the book he actually is in it He's in a, a car right now as we speak, driving through Texas because he's oh. moving back to Martha's Vineyard. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, we got a delay for a week until he hopefully finishes it next week and I can release the audio book. So. Well, again, any, anybody anybody who wants to get in touch with Joel, uh, if you cannot find him for whatever reason, I'm sure you can, but you can always go to artworkpodcast.com, fill out the contact form and say, please put me in touch with Joel Miller and then we'll we'll put you in touch with him. Um, and like I said, we're kind of low on time, but... Uh, so, so we've talked about your uh, being a roadie, uh, making a film, an art dealer. Um, what was I'm the a great lover. I'm a great what? lover. We can bring my girlfriend here. She'll tell you. Well, that's a different show. Different show. Okay. <laughs> Reason to uh, come back. We do that show much later at night. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, what? What? <laughs> uh auction house i wanted i wanted to hear about hey come on i wanted to hear about that what what was your experience what i was doing was when i first started i was really robbing richard to pay paul so i would buy um i would buy prints a lot of the time and the thing is is if i sell an original painting you know the price Mm -hmm. if i sell a print you're looking at an average of the prices okay so i would uh buy a piece at an auction house that really wasn't the best place for it so I would buy a California artist out of Christie's, believe it or not, top of the ladder. But if you're going to run an item through a Christie's or a Sotheby's and it's only worth five grand, you got the wrong place. Yeah, so right. I'll bottom feed and I'll grab that and I'll send it to a place that it's a decent art piece to have in the right place. So regionalist artists are more popular in those regions. Mm. So I would do a bit of that and I and I'd flip the pieces back and forth and make a bit of money each time. And then I got into the the, the prop industry I bought Granny Clampett's outfit from the Beverly Hillbillies. Wow. Oh my God. Yeah. And I, I paid 116 bucks and it was her shoes and it was her, um, it was her uh, wig. Oh, wow. And huh. I bought her director's chair and you sit in the director's chair and it said Irene Ryan and it said Granny and it was all uh. hand tooled leather and you sit in it and it creaked. Uh. So I'm like, I'm going to keep the chair. I'm going to get rid of her stuff. So I reached out to an auction house called Profiles in History, and they specialize in uh, film entertainment. They actually are just merging right now with Heritage, so they're soon to be gone. Oh, wow. But um, I, I went out to see those guys, and uh, I, I gave his, his name is Brian, one of the main guys there. And I said to Brian, I got Granny Clampett's uh, chair, and it, and it creaks. And he said to me, well, you know, the, you can keep the chair if you want to, but her fan base ain't getting any younger. So wow. I, brought, wow. I brought the chair, I lift, I leave everything with them. And I go back to the, uh, we're watching the auction, my girlfriend and I, it's like midnight. And I'm thinking, who the hell's going to bid? A lot of the audience who bid is New York. So New York means we're talking 3 a.m. Huh. Well, they sold the, one of the motorcycles from Easy Rider and wow. it sold for a you know, million bucks. So I was wow. like, well, somebody's awake. So, you know, two people I are awake. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, bid yeah. It up. And then comes me. So they sell her chair for a couple grand. And I was like, oh, man, I would have kept the chair because it creaked. It's cool. So then the next thing comes up is her glasses. Well, I didn't know I had her glasses because they were inside the wig. I wasn't aware of it at the time. And Brian decided to split the lots. And I'm like, well, you put it you put it together because it's her stuff. And he's like, well, you sell art and you focus on that. I sell this stuff. So we split it up because Brian said so. So the the, bid, the bidding begins and it's 1,000, 2,000, 3, 4, 5, 6, oh, wow. 7, and 8. Nine. It's sold for 11,000 hammer. Oh, wow. And this is a wig and glasses? Yeah, so I hit him up the next day. I'm like, so dude, 
it wasn't John Lennon, man. I mean, <laughs> you know, and he's like, yeah, you know, this, that. so I'm like, okay, did the guy pay? And he's like, yeah, they paid. I'm like, woohoo, I'm going to be bringing you lots of stuff. So I, I became a pretty big dealer in a that's film. Interesting. Wow. Fascinating. What? Yeah. Uh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Yeah. I think I did over 25 grand on all the stuff together. So I then started getting into film memorabilia and I, I have the original handwritten sheet music to Pink Floyd, The Wall right now. The oh, album. Holy. Wow. Major, major piece. That's to, awesome. Uh, I just got in uh, the uh, master recording record. It's made out of metal for Superman from 1978. Wow. Right. You would have you loved, uh, uh, if I'd have gotten in hold, a hold of you, what's it been like now, Aaron, about eight or 10 years ago or longer? But Aaron's uh, third generation film industry. So her dad was hanging out with Montgomery Clift and you know, all of these people. I mean, we, we have letters from Roddy McDowell and just tons of stuff, but uh, I've got a ton of mem memorabilities. I mean, memorabilia it, I, still on the, on the one hand, you think you, on the one hand, you think on the one hand, you think you want to keep it, you know, this was a long time ago, but we, uh, we, we sold so much of it that at that time, eBay upped my uh, selling limit. And, um, and I was I'm getting in touch eBay with guy. I've done almost a million dollars in sales on eBay too. Yeah. So a huge eBay -er. And um, yeah, but the mem movie memorabilia, whatnot, let me know. I'll, I'll find a good home for well, it. Well, I mean, like I say, now, no. you know, we're, we're kind of, what we have left, I mean, we'll probably hang on to. We have really unusual yeah, I don't stuff. keep anything. I sell everything. When I first started, there was a guy named Dennis, and he ran a place called Off the Wall. It's a well-known place here in LA. Yeah. yeah. And Dennis, uh, he told me, I went up to him, like, you know, I don't, what do I keep and what do I sell? And he's like, you get rid of everything, man. You don't have anything worth keeping. And I was kind of like, what a dick. Yeah. <laughs> it was the best advice anybody gave me. Because the truth is, all this stuff's just stuff. Get it rid is. of it all. Get it rid is. of it all. The only stuff worth keeping is an original Van Gogh. And you ain't got it. No, and that's, that's because it, it goes up in value more than currency. Yeah. So get yeah. rid of it all. Don't keep anything. It's all clutter. I sell everything. The only thing I've kept is that Pink Floyd item. And that's because it should be going in a museum tour soon here. And I, so, yeah, yeah, that's a really that's a really I, important piece of history. Right well, there. top one percent. That's the top one percent of 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 music memorabilia. That's it's one of the best selling albums of all time. It's very important. Oh yeah, oh yeah, of course. And I'm a, I'm a guitar player, so I mean, hearing that, I mean, I would love to just sit there and look at it. You know, so, yeah, it's awesome well, stuff. Yeah. Well, like I have a chair in the living room. You know, my 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 husband would always tell me, "You got to stop bringing stuff home." You know. You gotta stop bringing home. I'm like, I can't let this, you know, I worked on the Black Pearl and I brought one of the chairs home. It's this awesome, you know, oak chair and it's in our living room right now, you know, and that's from the Black Pearl because I worked on um, uh, Pir Pirates of the Caribbean. And I mean, I brought home like these things that were like, uh, what do you call them? They're like barnacles on the side of the ship. Oh I have yeah, there was like all that. of these fake barnacles and we were, Erin left a tool at the at the movie studio and so she said hey can you take me on a Sunday I need to pick something up I forgot it there the guards are gonna let me in so so I took her there and there was nobody there but a couple of guys throwing a bunch of fake barnacle stuff into a dumpster and there was all there was a the black pearl was sitting in the parking lot and my kids were running through the that uh, saloon door on the ship and I look at the guys and I'm like, what are you guys doing with all this stuff? And, and he goes, oh, we're throwing it out. And I go, why are you throwing it out? This was in a major motion picture. And they said, they made like six of these and this one's going in the Tons dumpster. And he goes, <laughs> and he looks at me and he goes, he looks at me and he goes, take whatever you want. And I, I packed, I mean, we filled, <laughs> we put it in my trunk. So, so I, I painted a wall in the kid's room. I got an original uh, cell of SpongeBob, even though they don't technically use cells, but they deliberately make cells as investments. 
And so I, I got the uh, signature from the guys that make SpongeBob on it or whatever. So we got this cell and I put that in the kid's room and then we painted the wall like it was underwater. And I put all this uh, barnacle stuff from Pirates of the Caribbean. So they had this wall decorated like, uh, you know, and then he got a little older and I said, do you guys still like the wall? And they're like, no. <laughs> so I took it all down. Oh, I was going uh, to ask you something. Um, my dad was a Japanese film critic when I was a little girl. So oh, I mean, so it wasn't like Japanese, have, but he he, he, wasn't, was, yeah. he he critiqued Japanese films. So I, I grew up in a Cecil B. DeMille studio soundstage up in the Hollywood, Hollywood Hills and they yeah. had turned it into an apartment. So uh, uh, we always had like we had Kitasawa, Tetsuro Nakadai, all these various different people in our house, you know, they just because that's just. And so um, I when my dad passed away, I got like 600 Japanese photos from the set you know, from like stills from the set. But see, the thing is, is that when you go to bookstores or whatever, and you look through boxes, you can see hundreds of those, you know, just pictures. Yeah. People don't know how to put a, a price on those. But I, but I was told by my mom that, you know, if I found the right buyer for the, the lot, you know, because these are more, these are different though. These are different because these had stamps on the back from the photographer and these were original photographs from, uh, you know, she has, she has images of Toshiro Mifune and, and all these Kurosawa and all these guys. And, these are uh, a museum one time asked me, can you give those to us? And I was like, no, <laughs> you know, but uh, anyway, we are really running over. Well, Aaron, so I know, but I want to ask Joel if there's any other things he wants to. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So, Joel, do you have any other things you want to talk about that uh, before we wrap it up? No, I already tried to talk about my sex life and you shot me down. Aww. No, no, I, <laughs> well, no I'm done. That's it. You may all your ups and downs be in between the bed sheets. Yeah, right. Hey, whoa, hey. hey. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm, no, sure, I'm sure. I'm we'll sure talk, your girlfriend. We'll talk, has... we'll, we'll talk more, and you know, I, I appreciate the time that you gave me. So thank of you. Of course, I mean, we could talk about your sex life, but I'd have to change the intro music to the show. <laughs> it would be good. It would be yeah, <laughs> You're gonna bring bring Aaron in, bring your girlfriend. Make it more swanky. Anyway. <laughs> well, listen, you're a really interesting guy to talk to fantastic guest and yeah, um, bring you on again yeah, yeah we, we can have you back in the future because again you've got so much that you've done in your lifetime it's just really please amazing. yeah so, um yeah so uh okay everyone we're gonna wrap it up but uh go to artworkpodcast.com if you want to be on the show use the form if you want to get a hold of joel for any reason uh you can contact us and we'll put you in touch with him and uh no, he doesn't have a website. Okay. You asked him that already. And uh, so, Joel, um, final word from you. Thank you so much. God bless you. <laughs> you know what I should say? I should say uh, was it the shortest Oscar award-winning speech was Alfred Hitchcock, and he said, thank you. So I figured if I ever won an award, I'd say thanks. Perfect. <laughs> I love Alfred Hitchcock. Okay, Aaron, any, uh, any words from you before we wrap it up? Stay happy, stay artistic, and stay free. Yeah, there you go. Okay. All right. Okay, everybody. Until next time, this is Art Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Dan. I'm here with my co-host, Aaron, and we will see you next time. Bye.